Well, uh, change is a part of life. Some of it we like, some of it we don't like. Uh, it happens. Uh, Terry and I were supposed to be in Israel with 46 uh, people tonight and uh, with our friends, Yuval and Bo, uh, looking over the land where Jesus walked and the stories that we read in the Bible where it comes alive, but uh, change is a reality. Uh, change in seasons of life. You, know, you wake up one day and you can't get up as quick as you used to could get up. There are changes that happen when a child comes into life. There are changes that happen when it's empty nest. There are changes that happen when it's the first Christmas without a loved one. There are changes that come into our lives when there's a bad diagnosis or there's been a crisis in our families. Change, even good change, can produce stress. And we can wonder in those moments, does God really see and does God really know? Well, today we're going to look at, uh, tonight, uh, we're going to look at Jesus changes everything. And the verses we're going to look at are Matthew 11, 28 through 30. The note sheet is available online and you can get that and follow along with some of the things that are in the note sheet in addition to what uh, we'll be talking about tonight. But um, when I think about change, I think there is positive change. In fact, in some ways, our life is defined by change. And when change happens in my life, these are the verses that I tend to go to and remind myself of the truth of these three verses. They're kind of tucked in. We kind of let them roll off of our tongue. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. But when change happens, whether it's good and I start feeling good about myself and pride, or whether it's bad and I start getting depressed and worried and concerned, I can go to these verses and it's like Jesus just brings me in close to him and he says, Michael, listen to me. This is what I want you to do. This is how I need you to think. I need you to trust me in this moment. So those are the verses we're going to look at. But, but I just want to go through some changes that have uh, impacted my life. And I would encourage you as an individual or as a family to somewhere after this broadcast sit down and say, okay, what were the significant changes that happened in our family? The good ones and the bad ones. You're not trying to weigh good against bad but you're just reminding yourself that change brought you to another step in your life, a new direction in your life. For me, uh, my most obvious one was when I came to Christ during the Jesus movement. And for that reason, revival has stirred my heart for decades. Uh, the second one would be when I met Terry and uh, God brought her into my life and, and what God has done in our marriage, when I met my mentor and he agreed to mentor me with Vance Havner and then Ron Dunn and, and then Warren Wearsby. When I discovered a few years after I was saved, really what it meant to understand walking in the spirit and the fullness of the spirit and what Paul said, what it means to be a command, be filled with the spirit. A change that had multiple ups and downs and still does, was finding out I was adopted when I was 38 years old and only finding out a couple of years ago the name of my birth mom and visiting her grave. Pastoring the same church for 30 years has certainly been 
different uh, because I've watched this church change. The church has experienced some incredible changes. I think a lot of them are positive. They've made us more like a New Testament church. We've <clears throat> gone from being a neighborhood church to a regional church. Our commitment to prayer and revival, our strategic involvement in crisis in our community, the diversity of our congregation, 65% of those that have joined over the last two years don't don't look like me. They're, uh, we're getting younger by the grace of God and we're becoming more diverse. The, the purposeful ministry decisions, whether it was a school or Legacy Park or Alpha Crisis Center or Sherwood Pictures or the Hope Center at the Coke Plant or our Refresh Conferences, God has allowed us and put the right people in place in Sherwood to position us when a crisis comes to be prepared to act. He did that in the 500-year flood during the 1990s. He's done it during the three natural disasters in the last two years. I mean, straight-line winds, tornadoes, hurricanes, and the church coming together with other churches and helping our community. And now we have the coronavirus which is affecting us, and there will be something else down the road. Change is inevitable. The only way you stop changing is when you die, and then you change because you change into life with Christ without a body. Your spirit goes to be with him. All of these changes have demanded that I look at God in a different way, and I listen to God in a different way, that prayer cannot be optional. And so in the passage that we're looking at, God gives us a clear path, by the way, a narrow path, to handle change and pressure and stress and uncertainty and upheaval. And I believe if we embrace these truths, they would change everything about our lives. So in Matthew 11, I want to give you a little context backing up to Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is talking about what it means to be a follower, a disciple. And so if you're a follower of God, if you're a disciple of God, in Matthew 10, here's some markers. Verse 28, fear me. Verse 32, confess me. Verse 37, love me. Verse 38, follow me. Verse 39, die for me. Jesus is speaking to his followers and saying, if you want to measure where you are with me, are these characteristic of your life? Is this the habit pattern of your life? Is this the way your life flows? He's speaking to people who have various attitudes about him. Now, you know, people followed Jesus that weren't really following Jesus. Some were curious, some were critical, some were cynical, but Jesus to all of them, all of them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the half-hearted, the casually interested, and those who were impressed by his miracles or followed him for the food. Jesus to all of them said, you can have a life with me that will change you forever. Let's be honest. The people, some of these people are still among us. 2,000 years later, you still have those who are concerned. That's John the Baptist, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. John says, are, are you the one? I mean, I gave myself to you. 
I, I baptized you. I said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But are you, are you really the one? I'm, I'm in prison now. Looks like I'm going to get my head cut off. Uh, Jesus, I, I need you to tell my disciples to come back and tell me, are you really the one we've been looking for? You know what? There are concerned people right now. And if you're honest, you're asking the question, is Jesus really the only one? Is he the only way? Is he the only hope? Does faith and prayer really work? I'm concerned that I don't have what I need to go through this crisis. Jesus, are you the one that's going to see me through this crisis? Or do I look to another God or to an idol? All of those will let you down. Secondly, the critical, that's verses 16 and 18. <clears throat> These were the, were the religious cynics. They questioned the Son of God. They were sarcastic. They always found something to be negative about. It's like the person who is a, a member of a church and somebody asked them why they were always negative and, and the guy said, well, as long as I'm a member here, there will never be a unanimous vote. Every church has those kind of people. They're just people that got up on the wrong side of the bed and they keep getting up on the wrong side of the bed. They're just negative by nature. They don't care about anybody else. They don't think about God's sovereignty. It's just about me and making me happy. They're the critical. Then they're the careless, verses 20 through 24. These are the unrepentant cities that Jesus rebuked. These people weren't taking anything Jesus said seriously. And it says, interesting enough, he could do no miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Not all these folks that were following Jesus were all in. Now I want to go back to what I just said about Capernaum, that, that, that Jesus couldn't do miracles there because of unbelief. Now let's be honest. There are people in every level of our country, government, school, churches, business, entertainment, and sports, who God could do some incredible things for, but they're not interested. They don't want a faith touch. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear that there's hope beyond the grave. They think that they can figure this all out. They think, I've got one more trick up my sleeve. I've got one more way that I can work. And if I need God, I'll call him, but don't expect me to call him. We have people like that just here in our city. We may have people like that in our church. Your name is on the roll, but... Your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life because you've become careless about a decision that you think you made. You see, here these people saw the light, but they chose darkness. But with opportunity comes accountability. We have an opportunity right now. The church has to seize the opportunity that is before us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to love on Jesus. Garrett talked about what we're doing uh, to try to help Phoebe in the coming week. Uh, we're also looking at other ways to help people around. We've been calling our senior adults. We, we've picked up prescriptions. We've, we've taken food to some people. We've taken DVDs. Uh, to people that don't have the ability to stream this service. We are trying to engage our community and say, hey, the church cares. 
The church loves you. And yet not all members take God seriously, even in serious moments. This quote by Howard Hendricks has been with me for 30 years. We are responsible not only for what we hear, but for what we would have heard if we had been listening. We are responsible not only for what we hear, but for what we would have heard if we had been listening. So I'm just going to pause and just step into your living room or your den or your dining room table right now and say, you're responsible for this message, so you might want to turn off the distractions. Turn off your notifications on other things. You might want to get rid of background noise and pay real close attention because these truths are basically Jesus saying, come right here. I want to whisper something in your ear. And if you're trying to listen to everything else that's going on in this world, you will not hear the voice of God. Come here, listen, see what God says. As a pastor, I'm deeply concerned that people are listening and following and praying and that we stay engaged and we don't wander from the fold. You see, it would be very easy in a time like this to say, you know, it's kind of good not to go to church. It's, it's kind of fun to just stay home and watch church in my pajamas. It's kind of good to stay home and, and eat an entire bag of Doritos while we're watching this service tonight. I, I think I could get used to this. There's a danger because when you separate yourself from the flock, the wolves are just over the next hill. And the cliff that you're going to walk off of, you won't see coming. And you will end up on dry, parched ground and miss God. There were the childlike, verses 11, uh, verses 24 through 30. Remember, Jesus said, if you come to him, you got to come like children. And so he's got these three words, these three phrases that he gives us that require us to act, that require us to surrender. And these three phrases are built on each other. There's life in these words. There's ministry here. There's progression of thought. There's growth in experience. The three words are come and take and learn. Now, he's, he, I'm going to get into that in a moment, but you can't learn until you come. And you can't take until you come. Coming to Jesus is the first thing. One of, one of the things I loved about Adrian Rogers, in, in every invitation that he gave, he would come down on the steps and he would just reach his hands out to people and say, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come to me, come to me. Now let's back up into verse 25 and I want you to see something as we, the context of these words. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. That's what we are. We're sheep. We're dumb animals. We're babes in Christ. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Listen, you cannot find what you're not looking for. Jesus has said, here it is. It's hidden from the wise, from the intelligent. In other words, it's hidden from people that think they know more than God. It's hidden from people who are not looking for the Father in the moment of crisis. It's hidden. You can't find what you're not looking for. 
Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son will, wills re, to reveal him. You see, you can't know if you refuse to acknowledge the Son. This is not about some God up there in, in the middle of a universe. This is about the Son of God who revealed himself to us. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It will tell you exactly what our Father is like, that we can come to him. And then he comes to these verses that we're going to nail down today. Come to me, all, not just some, all, I don't run out. I'm not running out of supplies. My shelves are not empty. There's not a panic. Come to me, all, everyone, anybody, everybody, who are weary and heavy laden, and I will, promise, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will, not might, you will, Find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, one thing we ought to think about with this confinement and school shutdown and churches not being able to gather is you can't rest when you're running. I mean, we're running everywhere. We're taking our kids to sports. We're, we're going to the movies. We're going out to eat. We're, we're running 90 to nothing. We go from here to there. We carpool. We, I mean, we're just zip, zip, zip. We're just going everywhere. Now we can't. So guess what you can do instead of running around? Rest. Some of you, it's been a long time since you've just taken a deep breath and rested in the Lord. We can rest. These verses show us two things. They show us God's sovereignty, but they show us our responsibility. God sovereignly says, this is what I'll do for you, but if you want that, you've got to do this. You've got to come to me. You've got to take my yoke, and, for, and his yoke is easy. God invites us to intimacy. So the first of the three is come to Jesus. This is comprehensive. If you're lost tonight, and you're watching this, and you don't know if you died today. You don't know if you got this virus and you couldn't get over it, and you died today. You have no assurance in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Master, and that if you died and breathed your last breath, gasped for your last breath, that you would enter heaven and have Jesus as a Savior. I've got good news for you. Jesus can save anyone, and he can save you right where you are. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Give your heart to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Repent of your self-sufficiency, of your self-serving, of your self-dependence, and depend on him. So when he says come, it's comprehensive for salvation, but it's also for, for the saved, for sanctification. We keep coming to him so that we can keep growing. Come to me. This is a three-word summary of the Gospels. He's saying, come to me. I'm holy. I'm calling you to holiness. I, I'm your only hope. I'm calling you to hope. I'm your sufficiency. I'm calling you to ask me for help. This is not a religion for those who dwell in comfort zones. This stretches us 
to be like the one who calls us, to have the life of the one who died for us. You see, the path of least resistance will never result in a powerful life. You have to make the effort. God has provided the opportunity. We have to make the effort. Come to me. God does not call us to anything other than himself. And he doesn't say come when it's convenient or come when it fits your schedule. He says come to me. Move toward me. I'm the holy one. I'm the spotless one. I'm the sinless savior. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. I'm the resurrected Lord. I'm the intercessor. Come to me. Oh, but if I could just call a preacher. No. That's okay. But first, call on him. This kind of surrender is not a burden. It releases you from a burden. Because this kind of surrender is not about keeping rules and dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. It is an invitation to intimacy. Come to me. So who am I supposed to come to? He says, I am gentle and humble. Jesus didn't say, I act like I'm gentle and I act like I'm humble. He says, I am. This is who I am. This is the core of my being. I am gentle and humble. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to bless you and build you up. Who's he inviting to come? All who are weary and heavy burdened. He offers rest that we can't get anyway from anybody else. Now, what do you get rest from? How about an accusing conscience? How about the guilt trip that you live on all the time? How about your fear, your shame? How about all the things that wear you down? Now, the thing you have to know about this is that Jesus is speaking this word to an agricultural impoverished nation. They are under Roman oppression. The Romans were taxing everything. Does that remind you of anybody? The Romans were taxing everything. They were taxing the census. They were taxing the food. They were taxing the property. They were taxing the livestock. There was an import tax. There was an export tax. There was a city tax. And there was a tax that you paid if you were just alive. Oh, you're alive? You got to pay a tax. Not an income, just for breathing. You had to pay a tax. These people were tired, taxed out, tapped out, troubled, threatened, and on top of economic and political oppression, here come the religious leaders of the day laying on more burdens. Matthew 23, 4. They lay heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on their shoulders. Jesus said, hey, hey, guess what? I'm here to help. Everybody calm down. Everybody just take a deep breath. I'm here to help. I didn't come to lay a burden on you. I came to set you free from your captivity. Come to me. Not from his physical aches and pains. I mean, you can take medicine for that. Not from political oppression. But what Jesus is saying, come to me and find rest in your soul in the inner part of you 
in that part of you where the Holy Spirit dwells. You see, when we don't come to him and we don't rest in him, you know what we're doing? We're wrestling with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is praying. Jesus is praying. We have the, the Son and the Spirit making intercession for us. We have the Father watching over us, and we're wrestling against the Godhead. When we're uptight, when we're stressed out, hey, I know, I get there. But when we do that, I'm wrestling against how God wants to work in my life. And I need to inhale the Lord and exhale my stress. I just need to take a deep breath and come to God to have peace of mind and peace of heart. To have the peace of God and the God of peace. Secondly, he says, take my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Now, that doesn't sound very restful. Uh, I have a yoke in my office. I probably should have brought it today. We live in the 21st century. Most people don't know what a yoke is. But you would yoke up uh, two donkeys or two mules or two cows. And, and you would, one would be an older one and one would be a younger one. And, and they were to walk together. You would put them in a yoke and then you would plow a field. You would plow through a field. It was a common figurative expression of that time. What a yoke indicates is submission to an occupation or an obligation. It's a, it's a picture of submission. You see, for uh, an animal to yoke up, it has to put its head down while the master attaches the yoke to it and then locks it in so the yoke doesn't come off. And Jesus says, take it freely. Take it deliberately choose the yoke. This requires that humility. He's, he's not saying get a massage chair or a recliner, although that would feel pretty good right now. The, the yoke is not a way to get out of work. The yoke is God's way to make the burden of our work light. Jesus is saying, if you will yoke up with me, we can do this together. I'm in this with you. I'm yoked up with you. I'm side by side. Let's walk together. He says, my yoke is easy. It's well-fitting. One commentator even suggests that one of the things Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, one of the things Joseph did was that he was a carpenter and one of his specialties was yokes. Now, we don't know that. That's speculation. But at the end of the day, what God is saying is a good yoke is carefully cut to fit the two that need to be in it. So there's a yoke side that's made to fit Jesus, and there's a yoke side that's made to fit me. And when I walk in harmony with him, then I walk in step with him and I don't get chafed. I'm not pulling ahead. I'm not dragging behind. I'm walking in step with God. I'm not trying to lead. I'm letting him lead. He's the leader. He's the teacher. I just need to get in step with him. He says, my burden is light. It's easy to carry. How many times have you carried a burden only to realize that you carrying it wasn't changing anything? Jesus said, my burden is like, roll it over onto me. What he's talking about there is walking in the Spirit. What he's dealing with is abiding in Christ. What he's 
telling us is that we need to understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. We're not running ahead. We're not falling behind. The take my yoke, it is easy, and my burden is life, is a life of surrender and submission. You see, people serve the church, and we always need people to serve. We need more people serving so that people don't have to serve in so many different ways. But listen, serving is a burden when you think it's your work and not his. When you say, I've got to serve, I've got to serve. Why? Because church asked me to serve. No, you're serving him. And when he asks you to yoke up with him and he asks you to serve, it's not to put more pressure on you. It's to show you how to serve in his power. Service comes after surrender. And here's the important assumption on the part of Jesus. It's his yoke. You're not going to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, I, I want us to walk through this together. Lord Jesus, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate it. You know, we get off this simulcast and, and this streaming. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, Jesus, me and you, Jesus, me and you. We're just going to, we're going to go together. But it's his yoke. Don't tell him how to do his business. You know, Carrie Underwood had that song, Jesus, Take the Wheel. Well, that means you've got to get out of the driver's seat. If Jesus is going to take the wheel of your life, you've got to get out of the driver's seat. And you can't be an advisor to the driver. Uh, Jesus, y'all turn here. Y'all turn here. Slow, slow down, Jesus. Uh, watch it, Jesus. There's, there's a speed bump up ahead. Lord, Lord, I tell you, I'd like to run in right over here and just, just get me a Coke if you don't mind, Jesus. Just get, no, he's driving you just travel with him. My burden is easy. It's his yoke. It is not so much asking God to help us in our work as it is learning to cooperate with him in his work. You see, a lot of things that churches do, quite honestly, aren't the work of the gospel. They're not helping us reach people, and they're not helping us disciple people. They just make us busy. And if we really want to be yoked up with God, then we will find out what it is that God's in on, as Henry Blackaby would say, find out where God's working and join him. We'd find out what God's in on. You know what God's in on right now? God's in on the church being the church without a building. God is in on how can we love our neighbor? How can we love on our one that we're praying for to come to faith in Jesus Christ? And he says, learn from me. So first you come. Secondly, you take, and then you learn. You don't go from diapers to graduate school. You come and you take and you learn. You never graduate from the school. This is not about learning systems and rules. He says, learn from me. Who's the me? The way, the truth, and the life. The living water, the bread of life. He's the teacher and the lesson. So when you look at the life of Jesus... He did what he asked us to do. He lived what he asked us to live. He prayed like he asked us to pray. And he loves like he asked us to love. That's not complicated. I just need to learn how Jesus did his ministry. I need to learn how he lived. I need to learn how he prayed. I need to learn how he loved. And so when you take that thought and just write in beside it, Philippians chapter 2, I need to learn his mind. 
Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. I need to learn his life, taking the form of a bondservant. I need to learn his humility. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. I need to learn his heart. Before he ever went to the cross, he wept over Jerusalem. We should weep over our city. I need to learn his witness, the fruit of the Spirit, the the nine characteristics of the love of God lived out in our life. And you will, if I learn from him, if I learn to do what he did, live like he lived, pray like he prayed, love like he loved, you will find rest for your soul. That's a promise and a possibility. That's not just for preachers and missionaries. That's for all of us. It's a promise. It's a possibility. Now one thought, And then I want to end with some prayer points. You remember when Jesus said to Simon Peter, you are Simon, but I'm going to make you a rock. You're a little pebble, but I'm going to make you a rock. On your confession, not on Simon Peter, but on your confession, I'm going to build my church. Did you notice that in that moment, Simon didn't say a word? You know why? Because Simon was impulsive. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was a leader, but he didn't always lead well. He had his opinions that overran everybody else. And at the end of the day, Simon knew only God can change me. I can't change myself. Only God can change me. This was a revelation to Simon Peter because God the Son chose him, knew his weaknesses, knew his failures, and yet said, I'm going to make something out of you, Simon, that you will never believe. You say, yeah, but he blew it. He denied him three times. Yeah, but Jesus restored him in John chapter 21. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You know what? Coming to Jesus and taking his yoke and learning from him does. It makes all of us ministers of the good news of Jesus. We look at the sheep that are in our care, our children, our parents, our spouse. We look at the sheep around us, our neighbors. We look at the sheep within our church. And we encourage one another and we love one another and we pray for one another and we, we strengthen one another. And we become something we could never be on our own. A family. A family in tune with a shepherd who doesn't beat us and drive us. He leads us. Jesus was saying to Peter, trust me, And I'll make you into something you could never be on your own. There's an old hymn that we used to sing when I was growing up. And I think it applies to us here. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he will do for you. Yeah, you. So here's how you need to pray when we stop this live stream. 
Number one, Lord, I surrender. I come to you. I choose, I choose to come to you, to take your yoke, to find my rest in you, to learn from you. And I don't want to lead, leave the position of surrender. I come daily. Secondly, pray for someone you know that right now is stressing and panicking and trying harder, turning over new leaves, making resolutions they're not going to keep, and pray that God will bring them in this crisis to a point of desperation where they hear the voice of Jesus saying, Hey, hey, come to me, and I will give you rest. Father, do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.